Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. Now, with uh, Thanksgiving coming up this week, I did want to highlight a couple episodes on other podcasts that we're doing over on the Old Time Radio Snack Wagon. We've got our Thanksgiving appetizers posted at snackwagon.net. And coming tomorrow to the amazing world of radio at amazing.greatdetectives.net, we have our annual Thanksgiving special. So check that out over at amazing.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it is time to begin this week's Yours Truly Johnny Dollar Serial. Now, as always, we will be playing episodes 1 and 2 for you today and episodes 3 through 5 on Friday. If you're minded to listen to all five episodes together, then pause the podcast, come back to it on Friday, and then you can just listen to all five parts at the same time. But now, from... July 9th and 10th, 1956, here is the Shady Lane Matter, Episodes 1 and 2. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Pete Carlson, Johnny, Star Mutual. Oh, hiya, Pete. How's the family? Great. The lucky dogs are at Cape Cod for the summer while I toil and fret. What's fretting you at the moment? A letter, Johnny. Listen. If you're wanting to know who murdered Ellen Bates, you pay no mind to that person or persons unknown. You just look real close to home. Look real close to home. The postmark, Shady Lane, Vermont. And the signature, I suppose, is that famous old name. That's right. Anonymous. Ellen Bates was killed there a month ago, shot to death. We carried a $10,000 policy on her. And the beneficiary? Ben Bates, her husband. He's got a farm about four miles out of Shady Lane. Uh Uh-huh. What's the status of the investigation? Stalemate, Johnny. The coroner's jury brought in an open verdict, and there's been nothing turned up since. We were just on the point of paying off the policy. But now, well... All right, Pete, I'll fret for you. If I can find Shady Lane on the map. Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Home Office, Star Mutual Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Shady Lane matter. Item 1, $36.70. Transportation and incidentals, Hartford to Shady Lane, a quiet little town of around 1,000 population. Drowsy streets lined with white frame homes, picket fences, and flower-bedded yards. A town with a well-chosen name built under the protecting shade of venerable elms and spreading maples. A country crossroads town with one of everything. One inn, one restaurant, one garage, one general store, one barber shop, and one constable, a gaunt and lantern-jawed leather-faced man of middle age named Jed Bramler. Yeah, 
it's a fact, Mr. Dollar. Lived here all my life. First time I've ever seen it this hot. Yeah, it's warm, all right. Mm, for this time of year, at least. Weather is changing. World, too. Everything's changing. <laughs> Except human nature. Mm, that, too, maybe. Take this killing. Don't rightly know how to go about dealing with it. Well, maybe we can figure out something between us. That's the bullet that killed him? Yeah, that's the one. Hmm. It's an odd size and shape. Hand poured. Say it's hand poured. It's for an old-fashioned squirrel rifle. Smooth bore, single shot. I see. And I reckon that's about all I can give you in the way of facts, or clues, I guess you call them. Oh, facts will do. All right. Ellen Bates was a fine woman. Had a hard life. She was married, no children. She was alive. Now she's dead. Cause of death, a bullet in the heart. Them's all facts, Mr. Dollar. Mm -hmm. How did it happen? Don't rightly know. Weren't no witnesses. Could have been an accident, even. What do you mean, an accident? Well, one of them hunters from the city. Them through here regular. Confounded idiots. Shoot at anything that moves. Well, surely not at a human being sitting in her own living room. They might have. Never can tell. Crazy as they are. Shot a goat. Belonged to Het Wilmer last fall. Caught him with it. Tied on their bumper. Said it was a mountain sheep. Yes, but Yes, they... might have done it unintentional. Then got scared and run out. Yes, possibly. Except for one of those facts. Which fact? This bullet. Hunters from the city don't use old-fashioned squirrel rifles, Mr. Bramler. Mm-hmm. Well, I said it could have been accidental. Didn't say it was, though. I, uh, I reckon somebody meant to kill her. Oh, I don't think there's much doubt of that. There ain't. Wish there was. Might not feel so danged worthless, then. What do you mean? Ellen Bates was a fine woman. Hate to think of somebody killing her and getting clean away with it. Then let's make sure they don't get away with it. Got nothing to go on, Mr. Dollar. Not one lonesome thing. What about a possible motive? Haven't turned up a single one. Did she have any enemies? Everybody that knew her loved her. Mm -hmm. What about this bullet? Did you have a ballistics check made? Yeah, sent it clear to New York. They come up with anything? Six-page report. Yes, got it here somewhere. You can look at it if you want to. No, no, no need to. Uh, what was their conclusion? Same as mine. Fired from an old-fashioned squirrel rifle. Mm -hmm. Know anybody around here who might own a gun like that? Yeah, but near anybody in the township. Must be three, four hundred of them rifles around. Keepsakes. Handed down. Family souvenirs. Yeah, then that's one dead end. Couldn't be much deader. It's like I told you. Ain't no clues at all. At least none to speak of. Woman without an enemy in the world, sitting in front of her window, shot fired from outside the house, woman's dead. Them's the facts. And all the facts. No, not quite all. Eh? What do you mean? People. Persons are facts, you know. And their relations with other persons are facts. Facts that we can check on. Already told you, Mr. Dollar, Ellen Bates didn't have no enemies. The person who killed her wasn't exactly a friend. Known enemies, I mean. But she had contacts and relations with other persons, and one of them, known or unknown, was her enemy. Maybe an accidental enemy with a motive in the capacity for murder. What do you mean by accidental? Maybe Mrs. Bates saw something from that window of hers. Something that made her dangerous to someone else. Maybe she didn't even know she'd made an enemy. Yeah, might be. Or maybe it's just a matter of her death benefiting somebody. Somebody who otherwise wouldn't be her enemy. Mm-hmm. It thought of that, of course, but it don't lead nowhere. It might. I've got a letter here, Mr. Bramler. I wish you'd take a look at it. All right. It arrived yesterday at the home office of my client in Hartford. Mm -hmm. It was mailed yeah, here in Shady Lane. Right, Paul. Close to home. Looks real close to home. 
<laughs> not signed, eh? No, not signed. Any idea who might have sent it? Yeah, somebody with a lot of vinegar in their blood. No, don't know. It's a fact. Wouldn't count too much on it if I was you. What do you mean? Well, like you just said, a matter of her death benefiting somebody. So? With that insurance policy like it is, the person that'd benefit most would be her husband, Ben Bates. Forget him. Why? Like you said, motive and capacity. Even if money was motive enough for Ben, he just hasn't got the capacity for murder. Forget him. Is Ben Bates a good friend of yours, Mr. Bramler? Since we were boys together. I see. Mm-hmm. Maybe you only think you see. I ain't making allowances for him. Just know him, that's all. Maybe I'd better meet him. All right. Farm's just out of town a ways. I'll drive you out there if you want. Oh, I'd appreciate that. Uh, only one thing, though. You, uh, you've got an expense account of some kind, ain't you? Sure, that's right. Why? Well, we're not exactly poor folks up here, but we ain't rich neither. And the township is kind of frugal with their money. I see. Going to have to charge you for the car expense if it's uh, all right with you. Oh, sure. That sounds fine. Yeah, well then. Uh, maybe we could make a couple of other calls on the way. Who do you want to see? Well, mostly I'd like to talk to the coroner here and... You, the... uh, you already have. Huh? Yeah, I'm the coroner, Mr. Dollar. Well, are we ready? Expense account item two, three dollars even. Transportation and Constable Jed Bramler's car from Shady Lane to the Ben Bates farm. It was a pleasant trip. Summertime, and a country road winding among the farms, climbing lazily over the ridges. The heady, pungent scent of flax and clover, the hum of bees. But I couldn't completely enjoy it. I kept wondering how much real help I could expect from a constable who'd already made up his mind that the top suspect wasn't capable of murder. A constable who was also coroner. And for all I knew, county attorney and district judge. A constable who might even be... Just an idle thought... Might even be a murderer. Now, this is the Preeny farm. Ben Bates' place is the next one, about a quarter of a mile. I see. That's uh, Martin Preeny there at the side of the road, working on that fence. Might as well pass the time of day with him, I reckon. Were the Preenys and the Bates good friends? Yeah, real close. Afternoon, Jed. Martin. Township must be getting lax, letting you go gallivanting around on pleasure trips. Being paid for, Martin. Official business. This year's uh, Mr. Darnley Dollar from down around Hartford. Martin Preeny, Mr. Dollar. Mr. Preeny. I do. That's quite a job you're doing there, Mr. Preeny. Well, a rock wall does just fine if you stack them real careful so they lock together. Looks pretty difficult. Yeah, it takes a knack, no doubt about that. And work and time. But if it's dug in below the frost line, a rock wall will last a lifetime. And uh, that's what I believe in, Mr. Dollar. Planning ahead and building right. That's a good philosophy. Yeah. And then, too, a rock wall is a sight cheaper than fencing. And right there is his real reason, Mr. Dollar. A man that wastes his substance is a fool and a sinner. I believe in prudence. It's your only virtue, Martin. Fiddlesticks. We got callers, Sarah. Come on out here. No, ain't staying, Martin. Just passing. Just a minute, Martin. Just uh, what so-called official business you on, Jed? Murder of Ellen Bates. Mr. Dollar here is an insurance investigator. He's come to look into it. I see. Well, it's a terrible tragedy, Mr. Dollar. Sad thing for the whole township, especially for Sarah and me. Yes, I imagine so. Yeah, they've been good neighbors, fine people. Folks about to be proud to know. So I understand. Couldn't help feeling sorry for him. Just didn't seem to get ahead in spite of Ben being a good hard worker and all. And then this, on top of all the other trouble he'd had. 
Well, what do you mean by trouble? Afternoon, gentlemen. Come here, Sarah. I want you to meet a friend of Jed's, Mr. Johnny Dollar, my wife, Sarah. Mrs. Brenny. Mr. Dollar comes from Hartford. Hartford? Well, then he's here for... He works for an insurance company. He's given Jed the hand with this Ellen Bates thing. Oh, yes, I I see. Well, don't let me interrupt. I, uh, I just tell him, Mr. Dollar, what good neighbors the Bates have always been. A body couldn't ask for a better friend than Ellen Bates. Mr. Prini, you said something about all the other trouble they'd had. I was referring to Ellen's illness. Why, after that operation last year, she was pertinent an invalid, you might say. Yeah, Ben had to wait on her hand and foot. Long with doing for the house and running the farm. Huh, a lot of time he spent taking care of her. Now, Sarah. Not half as much time as he spent hanging around that girl. What girl is that, Mrs. Prini? Why, that little flippity-jibber that works at Sarah! The... I'm sorry, Martin. But it's true, and you know it. Uh, uh, Mr. Dollar, I'm afraid my wife is just repeating gossip she's heard. And Bates is a fine young man. Any story to the contrary, idle rumors, nothing more. Well, sometimes the best way to stop an idle rumor is to check into it. If you'd care to tell me who she is. I know the girl, Mr. Dollar. Her name is Millie Wells. She's a waitress at the Shady Lane Cafe. I'd like to talk to her. You can, when we get back to town. Well, folks, reckon we'd better be getting on. Hey, Mr. Dollar, Ellen Bates was a fine woman. Whoever it was killed her, I hope you get him. I believe we will. Oh, and by the way, Mrs. Freeney, the company was very grateful for your letter. My letter? I mean, how did you know it I was... didn't know. I was just guessing. Oh. Nice to have met both of you. See you again. Johnny Dollar. Ready with your call to Hartford, Mr. Dollar. Thanks, operator. Go ahead, Hartford. Hello? Johnny? Yeah, Pete. A big, fat expense account, and you still reverse the call. Had to. I'm phoning from a crossroads store. Look, I need a quick fact or two in connection with the Ellen Bates murder. That $10,000 policy on Ellen's life. When was it written, Pete? Oh, around four years ago. I'll get the exact date if you want to hang on. No, no, that's close enough. I was hoping it was only a year or two back. Knocks a pet theory in the head, huh? No, but it doesn't help it any... Hey, is there also a policy on the life of Ben Bates? Yeah, same amount, taken out at the same time, right after they were married. Add up to anything? A nice round zero. What do the local authorities think? The only local authority in Shady Lane is sitting outside in the car right now, and he thinks the same as I do. Which is what? We're both stumped. I'll be talking to you. From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Shady Lane, Vermont, to the Home Office Star Mutual Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the Shady Lane matter. Expense account continued. Item four, seven cents, a copy of the Shady Lane Weekly Crier, the paper that prints the folksy news, according to the masthead. Maybe it would help, because the whole case seemed to have a folksy flavor. A young farm wife named Ellen Bates, a semi-invalid without a known enemy in the township, had been shot to death a month before. The killer, unidentified. Motive, unknown. Physical evidence, non-existent. Leads, none. I rejoined Constable Jed Bramler in the car and glanced over the paper as we drove on to the Bates farm. I'd begun to realize that, folksy or not, the Bates case was probably going to be tougher than an old boot. 
Now, we'll, uh, we'll leave the car here at the road and walk up through the draw. I'll show you how it happened. All right, good. This sure doesn't look like very good farmland. Uh-uh. Can't. Ben's got a few good acres north of the house, but most of it's like this. Won't grow much of anything except in rocks. Takes a lot of scratching to make a go of a place like this. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. And it would be even tougher if you had to take care of an invalid wife at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I reckon it would. Uh, watch yourself on that barbed wire, Mr. Dollar. All right. Uh, there's easier ways to get into the house, but I figured you'd like to see how the killer got away. And this is it, you think, huh? He fired the shot from cover and then... Oh, she did. All right, whichever. And then he or she ran back down this draw here and got away. Yeah, must have been seen otherwise. But here in the draw, a person would be out of sight from both houses. Either the Bates place or the Preenies over on the other side. I'll buy that one, all right. This brush is thick enough to hide a herd of cattle. Yeah. Well, once the killer got to the road, back where we left the car, might have gone any place. Yeah, that's the trouble. This case is too full of mites. Tried to pick up a trail in here. Even brought in dogs. But they didn't turn up nothing. Dogs is mostly overrated anyhow. Yeah, so I've heard. Yeah, let's see now. Ought to be right about here some... Ah, ah, yes, there we are. Over that way. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, I see the stake you put up to mark the place. Nope, it wasn't me that put it up. It's a survey marker. But it's just about where I calculate the shot was fired from. Uh, right about here. What was the survey for, Mr. Bramler? Highway department. They was figuring to build a new turnpike through here last year. Fell through, though. How come? Uh, the whys of a public bureau ain't for mere man to know, Mr. Dollar. They finally picked someplace else a few months ago. Shame, too. Might have made this land worth something to Ben. Another one of those mites, huh? Now, uh, look through the bushes there, just to the left of that big maple. Mm-hmm. That's the corner, the parlor corner of the Bates house. And Ellen was sitting right there in that big front window when it happened. Ben has put the glass back in since. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't have been too difficult a shot from here. Yeah. Them old-fashioned squirrel rifles is mighty accurate. And nearly everybody in the township has one. That's about it. It's not a matter of finding a needle in a straw stack. It's finding one special straw in a straw stack. Mighty hard chore, I'd say. <laughs> so would I. So there she sat, an easy target, alone at her own front window. Well, not exactly alone, Mr. Dollar. Oh? Alone at the window, yes. But Mrs. Preeny was in the room with her at the time. The woman who wrote the anonymous letter accusing Ben Bates... I didn't know that. Yeah, didn't seem to have no bearing. She just happened to be there, brought over a cake or something from next door. She was always doing things like that for Ellen. Uh-huh. But Mrs. Preeny didn't see who fired the shot. She just heard the window glass crash and saw Ellen come half out of her chair and then fall on the floor. An invalid, helpless, sitting there at a window. Now, what the devil could a woman like that do to make somebody hate her enough to kill her? Mr. Dollar, if I could answer that, I would have somebody locked up by now. If anybody did hate her, of course. Meaning? Maybe hate wasn't the reason. Got a better one? Oh, I'm just supposing. Eh, done quite a bit of that myself. Hey, tell me something, Mr. Bramler. Uh, this waitress at the Shady Lane Cafe, the one Mrs. Preeny made the insinuations about. Millie Wells? Yeah, Millie Wells. Is she pretty? Well, hard to say. Tastes differ. I reckon, though, most anybody'd call her pretty, though. Well, what about that gossip Mrs. Preeny was spouting? Is it just a rumor? Or was Ben seeing Millie before his wife was murdered? Hard not to see her. 
Ain't a very big town. You know what I mean. Did he go out of his way to see her? Oh, stopped in the cafe there once in a while. Cup of coffee, piece of pie. Doing all the cooking at home like he was. He got a mite tired of it, I reckon. Well, what about now? Is he still seeing her? Eats most of his evening meals there. Is that all it amounts to? Well, folks generally agree that there's some interest building up since his wife's death. Well, what about his wife? Did she have any chance at all of getting well? Nope. Not according to the doctors. I see. Mr. Dollar. Yeah? You are barking up that same wrong tree again. Oh, it kind of adds up. Figures lie sometimes. Pretty girl, young and alive, interested maybe. An invalid wife, run-down farm, a $10,000 insurance policy. All facts, true enough. He wouldn't be the first man who went wrong with a setup like that. Ah, uh, not Ben. I told you before, murder just ain't in his nature. Oh, come on. Let's walk on up to the house and talk to him. Wait a minute, one other thing. That anonymous letter Mrs. Preeny sent us. Now, why would she go out of her way to get Ben Bates in trouble? Hard to say. I thought she was a friend of the Bates. Of Mrs. Bates, yes. Ellen. But for some reason, she never has seemed to like Ben very much. I don't know why she done it, Mr. Dollar. But I sure wouldn't put no stock in what she said. It's just her nature. That's all it is. It was late afternoon. Long shadows were beginning to stretch out over the flinty ground. Almost the same time of day that Ellen Bates was killed. Killed by her husband, I was beginning to believe. And yet Constable Jed Bramler swore by Ben, his longtime friend. Human ties, human emotions, just plain folks. And a case that was growing messier and more vague by the hour. Not much sign of life. Well, Ben's in and out. You never know. Sounds like somebody coming around the house. Mm-hmm. Must have been working out in the barn. Always plenty to do on a Flint Rock farm. You come looking for me, Constable. Ah, uh, how are you, Grody? He said, how are you? I'm fine. I'm just fine. Been around? I- I've been working out back, fixing to spread it. Yeah, that's fine, Grody. Is Ben here? Ben? No. No, Mr. Ben's not here. Know where he is? No, he's not here. Any idea when he'll be back? No. No, he didn't say. You can go in and set, though, if you want, Constable. Maybe we will. Grody, this is Mr. Dollar, Grody Hawkins. How are you, Grody? Oh, I'm fine. I'm just fine. Grody does odd jobs for Ben. Some of the other farmers, too. Oh, I see. Were you working here the day Mrs. Bates was killed? Uh, That's a liar. I wasn't even near here that day. And anybody that says I was is a liar. Oh? I was crew over on the other side of town. We'll uh, go inside and wait, Mr. Dollar. Yeah, all right. See you, Grody. Kind of gets excited when he figures he's being accused of something. Yeah. He seems scared of you. Has he been in trouble before? Well, petty stuff, like shooting game out of season. Is he a good shot? Dead shot. Never misses. Fact. We waited in the parlor for a while. The room where Ellen Bates had died. Her picture was still over the mantel. A clear-eyed, sober woman, much younger than I'd imagined. The sun gradually set and the light on the picture grew dim. But Ben didn't come back. We gave up finally and drove back to town. 
I left Brambler at his office and walked down the street to the Shady Lane Cafe to eat dinner. I'll be right with you, sir. No hurry. You'll be cooler if you sit there by the window. Oh, oh, fine. Thanks. There were a half a dozen tables in the place, all empty. I was the only customer. The girl was pretty and friendly and fitted the description of Millie Wells. The pot roast is awfully good this evening. I think you'll like it. All right. You've made a sale. You're a stranger in town, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm investigating the murder of Ellen Bates. I see. Are you by any chance Millie Wells? Yes. Then I guess you're the person I'm looking for. You worked very fast. I thought it would take longer. Hmm? Oh, I knew you'd find out, of course, sooner or later, but I was hoping Ben and I would have a little time together first. I see. We were fools to expect it, though. (laughs) Once you've been tagged, you don't have a chance. Did Ellen Bates have a chance? I didn't give her the slightest cause to worry. I didn't let Ben know once how I felt. Not until after she'd been killed. That was very considerate of you. And I know he didn't give me one thought as long as she was alive. It's not in his nature. So I've heard. Doesn't it mean anything at all when a person has been acquitted? Acquitted? Acquitted of what? Of murder. What else? Isn't that why... Oh. I thought you knew. I thought that's what you... I guess maybe you'd better tell me about it, Millie. Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow, a sudden twist and a cool threat. A strange revelation. And the lies come thick and fast. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by Les Crutchfield, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking.
Welcome back. So far, it's a good start to the serial. Johnny is definitely a stranger in a strange land, but uh, very keen as he figured out who sent the letter in the first episode. Now, I will say that his suspicion that Jeb Ramler might have been involved in the murder seems a bit out of left field. Uh, we'll see if that pays off on Friday. Well, now we turn to listener comments and feedback, and we go over to greatdetectives.net, and you know, people do leave comments there from time to time, and Eli writes there, Thanks for this uh, fascinating episode of the Irving Gonzalez series. Too bad it had to be jumbled uh, with all the extraneous material about the insurance investigator and that murderous doctor. Hope to hear much more about the taco stand. <laughs> and of course, that's on the long shot matter. And uh, that's an interesting point. I did not think that the Irving Gonzalez scene went too long. And I kind of understand why writers do that. Because even if they are just one-scene characters, you can run into a problem if all of your one-scene characters are just completely functional. Because then the conversations can be a bit dull and rote. And there are some characters where they just need to be that way. But you don't want them all to be that way. But sometimes when you're a writer, you can forget who the main character is. And you can be just so interested in having this really interesting guy on. Particularly if you've been writing a lot of characters who are more functional. You're like, oh, this, this person is really interesting. Well, we got to spend some time here. And you can go too far to the point the audience is like, uh, the story? Are we gonna get back to that at some point? I don't think that Tony Barrett went too far with Irving Gonzalez, but obviously, some people might differ. Then, over on Instagram, Doc writes, great five-part episodes. The characters and plots can be more fully developed. Bob Bailey is definitely the best Johnny Dollar. Keep up the great work, Adam. And then on uh, Spotify, Jeff says, I'm going to say I think that it was well written. And Vicky says, uh, this is very similar to a Dragnet episode. Uh, I'm not certain what uh, Dragnet episode uh, Vicky's referring to specifically. There have been a couple of episodes of Dragnet dealing with mistaken identification. Probably in the 1950s, the best one was The Big False Make. But I think it definitely has a more realistic style. But I think Dragnet brought to so many crime programs. Jeff had another suggestion. He emailed in, Love your podcast and listen to it every day on my way to work. Something you said after the long shot matter concluded got me thinking. That could so easily have been a great episode of the Rockford Files. Of course, it would have been yet another episode where Rockford Ford's Firebird gets wrecked. Looking forward to getting my AM transmitter done so I can also listen on my 1941 Emerson radio because after all, real radios glow in the dark. Well, Jeff, that sounds like a great project and I agree, this really could have easily been turned into a Rockford Files episode. 
uh, a few modifications, and of course, you know, updating the setting a little bit so that it fits into the world of the 1970s. But I could totally see this episode starting with a lawyer friend of Jim Rockford dragging him to the jail to meet the con man who's been accused of murder. As far as I know, I don't think Tony Barrett recycled any of his radio scripts or early television scripts, and sadly, he passed away relatively early in the Rockford Files run. He died in 1974 at the age of 58. But I agree, this would have been a very good episode to redo for television. And then we turn to Apple Podcasts for reviews, and while we haven't played, well, we did play the Nero Wolf Sunday Encores last month, uh, we got this uh, review on the old-time radio Nero Wolf feed, and listener writes, my grandkids ages 5 and 8 love this, and we listen over and over again. Now, that's what I love to hear. Then we also have a review from uh, Vic Gord uh, on Apple Podcast in Canada. I have noticed there's a piggyback episode behind episode 4230. This is not the first one. Uh, the last cast is the Restless Ones. Hope there's an explanation, or maybe your feed is forced to do this great show, Adam. I enjoy every work shift helps pass the time. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate the comment. Now, I've gotten some questions on this. Some people have even suggested that it's an infomercial, and I'm... I'm not even sure they make those anymore. What it is, is it's a podcast discovery system called Podroll. And it's being adopted by a lot of different uh, people within the podcast industry and various uh, major services. And, and what it is, is that essentially podcasts pay for a chance to get their podcast discovered by listeners to other podcasts. Now, if you don't like a podcast that appears, just feel free to press the stop button and delete the episode, and that's that. I will say that I have a, a degree of control over what podcast actually will show up, and I reject a lot more than I will allow in. I, I'm pretty selective. If you've got any episodes rated explicit, you are not going uh, on my pod roll. And then I look for controversial topics or annoying sound or intros. There are a lot of things that podcasts can get to not be included. And I'll include some episodes and reject others. So that's what that is. Nothing to worry about. But thank you so much for the review and... Now we go over to YouTube where a listener had a thought regarding the laughing matter. And uh, uh, they're right. I've read at least three books based on the early days of the late night talk show hosts like Steve Allen, Jack Parr, and Johnny Carson. And this episode gets it correct about how everyone around seemed to hate them. Well, thanks for the comment. I did not actually view lovable Charlie as a late night host because 
There were no reference to guests. It was all kind of vague as to what exactly the type of comedy was. Now, I do think that it's possible that Les Crutchfield, who wrote that particular story, had talked to people who didn't like a specific comic or working work with a comic. Might it have been a late-night comic that inspired the story? It might have been, but I think that they would want to be very, very careful not to give anything away in that regard. And certainly when it comes to the laughing matter, it doesn't give anything away because it's really vague as to what type of program it is. Like at times it sounds like that this might be a sitcom with one character being considered the uh, signature star, but that whole desert island uh, scene that ended up in tragedy in episode four that sounded more like sketch comedy. I don't know that a TV sitcom in 1956 would have that type of scene on it, and particularly if you were changing it, you know, back and forth. So it's really vague as to what type of comedy it was, and I think that's intentional because you don't want anyone to be able to say, oh, they were talking about this or that specific comedian. I was doing some research and found one potential inspiration for the uh, show being in Mexico, and that was that for Duffy's Tavern... Ed Gardner actually moved the production to Puerto Rico so that he wouldn't have to pay taxes. It was a move that was derided uh, at home a bit. Obviously, Puerto Rico is not Mexico, but that might have been uh, something that served as a basis for cultural backdrop of having a comedy show filmed outside the United States. And then we have a comment from Boomer, who writes, Johnny Dollar is always a safe bet for good entertainment. Definitely agree with that. Well, now it is time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Magda, Patreon supporter since June of 2018, currently supporting the program at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support. And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And be sure to rate and review the podcast wherever you download it from. We'll be back on Friday with the conclusion of the Shady Lane matter. But join us back here tomorrow for Dangerous Assignment where... Anyone come through here the last minute or so? No, no one. Why? There are other officers facing the patio, uh, the garden, Mr. Mitchell. That's Mr. Halverson's, Mr. Walker's. Okay, we'll check them in a minute. Something else I want to look at first. Come on, let's go back inside. You've been gone out of the office long, Miss Borland? Ten minutes or so. Mr. Gainsley sent me down to the file room. I see. And when you looked in, Johnny, he was alone? Right, he, he was packing away at the typewriter. Mr. Gainsley was at my typewriter? Yeah. Uh, look, there's a piece of paper still in it. That's what I'm interested in. What is it, Mr. Mitchell? Oh, brother. Here's what Mr. Gainsley typed out. One sentence. What did he write? It reads, Mary had a little lamb. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. 
Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.